dropping on my face. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. Welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to review a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, I have nothing to rant about today. I haven't been watching the news, and like many people, I've been locked away for the past few months, and nothing has happened to me. Well, I mean, I almost pitched a perfect game in MLB The Show. So, uh, that's something. So what I decided to do was a little experiment. I went to BoxOfficeMojo.com and looked up the domestic box office for June 1984. June, because that's the month we're in. 1984. For no apparent reason. And I'm going to go through the list of titles and give you some of my thoughts on the movies. These movies are listed in order of gross within the month of June, so they could have been released in June or carried over from a previous month. So let's do it. Number one at the box office was Ghostbusters with $77 Excellent movie. Spawned a really strong sequel, and also a not-so-strong reboot. And I know a lot of people are pointing out to sexism as the reason why that movie didn't perform as well as it should have, but to be honest, it really wasn't a great movie. I'm really looking forward to Ghostbusters Afterlife, and I hope to be seeing it in theaters. Number two, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, with $71 I know the movie hasn't aged as well, and it certainly has some cultural insensitivities, to put it nicely, but it's my favorite out of the trilogy. Oh yeah, I'm not counting that fourth one. I actually like that it was darker, and the sacrifice scene, oh man, scared the hell out of me. Number three, Gremlins, with 65 million. This is definitely on my Christmas watch list annually. It's really got it all. The holiday season, puppets and animatronics comedy, drama, and a horrific story about a father dying for his daughter. As many people know, Temple of Doom and Gremlins were responsible for the MPAA to create the PG-13 rating, because even by 1984 standards, those movies were not PG. Number five, we have Beat Street with 16 million. Number six is The Natural with 15 million. Could have one of the greatest themes in movie history, written by Randy Newman. It sounded much better than that. Number seven is Breakin' with 14 million. If you're a frequent listener of the podcast, you'll know that Breakin' spawned a sequel, which has my favorite subtitle, Electric Boogaloo. Number eight is Police Academy with 11 million. Now, I didn't realize this, but it grossed 81 million total. That's a lot for a comedy, even in 1984. I mean, it shouldn't be surprising because it spawned six or seven sequels, but that's still a surprising haul. Number nine is Romancing the Stone with 10 million, a movie I've seen once, I think, and have no recollection of. And rounding out the top 10 is The Karate Kid with 10 million. Who doesn't love a great underdog story? And I'm loving what they're doing with Cobra Kai. That's what you need to do with these type of franchises. Find a different angle, a different type of story to tell. 
Other notable movies in June 1984, we've got Splash at number 12 with 8 million. It starred Daryl Hannah as a blonde mermaid, which inspired the producers of another Walt Disney picture in production at the time to change the hair of their Little Mermaid from blonde to red. And then we get to some classic 80s movies. Number 14 is 16 Candles with almost 8 million. Number 16 was Footloose with 7. Number 19, Firestarter with 3 million. Then we have not-so-classic 80s sequels. Cannonball Run 2 and Conan the Destroyer, both with 3 million each. But then the month is redeemed with number 25, Bachelor Party with 2 million. Number 28, This is Spinal Tap, with half a million dollars, but it did go on to gross almost 5 million. Overall, June 1984 was a really strong month at the box office and provided enough fodder for me for this part of the episode. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It, two stars Watch at Your Own Risk, three stars Standard Fare, four stars Worth Checking Out, and five stars Must See. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. I'll keep the spoilers to a minimum, tangents to a maximum. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie, The French Connection, from 1971, about police detectives Jimmy Doyle and Buddy Russo, who are hot on the trail of a heroin smuggler. He's French. That's the connection. It was directed by William Friedkin, who helmed The Exorcist, To Live and Die in L.A., Blue Chips, and Rules of Engagement. The screenplay was written by Ernest Tidyman, who scribed High Plains Drifter and Shaft. It's a fictional account of a true story based on the novel by Robin Moore, who wrote The Green Berets and The Happy Hooker. The movie begins in Marseille, where an undercover officer is tailing the main antagonist, heroin smuggler Alain Chartier, and is shot and killed by one of his henchmen. That's called starting the movie off with a bang. Then, we move to Brooklyn, where partners Jimmy Popeye Doyle and Buddy Cloudy Russo are on the chase after a criminal. They play good cop, bad cop to get information out of him and rough him up a bit for good measure. Jimmy Popeye Doyle is portrayed by Gene Hackman, one of the greatest actors of his generation, who's appeared in Mississippi Burning, Superman the Movie, The Royal Tenenbaums, and won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in Unforgiven. Even if I didn't like the movie, I always walk away thinking... Damn, Gene Hackman's a good actor. His partner in crime-solving is Buddy Cloudy Russo, played by Roy Scheider, famous for Jaws, its underrated sequel, Marathon Man, All That Jazz, and the TV series Sequest. Yep, I threw that one in there because I'm binging it on Peacock now. Whether he's the lead or supporting actor, Scheider always gives a solid performance. Consummate professional. As they have celebratory drinks at the Copa, Copacabana, the hottest spot north of Havana, Popeye observes Salvatore Boca, who was on suspicion of armed robbery but never prosecuted, along with his young wife Angie, hosting known members of organized crime who are involved in drug trafficking. Meanwhile, back in France, Alain Chartier has a plan which involves smuggling heroin into the United States by hiding it in the car of Henri Devereux, a friend and television star who's traveling there by boat. An interesting story about how Fernando Rey got cast as the antagonist of the film. It was a result of mistaken identity. The director, William Friedkin, saw the movie Bella de Jour and wanted Francisco Rabal for the role, but couldn't remember his name. He told the casting director who thought he meant Fernando Rey, and it was only after he was hired that they realized their mistake. 
So Popeye Doyle and Cloudy Russo raid a bar where narcotics are dealt regularly for a bit of intel and find an informant who tells them of the large shipment coming into the ports of New York. They go to their superiors to come up with a plan to catch the criminals in the act. The French Connection is the foundation for other cop movies like Lethal Weapon, 48 Hours, Bad Boys, but it doesn't glorify the profession. A good amount of the film was tailing perpetrators, gathering evidence, stakeouts. This is what I imagine being a cop is the majority of the time. The movie feels dated in its look. You can instantly tell it's from the 70s, but there's a timeless quality about it. When you have great directing, outstanding performances, and engaging story, that supersedes any amount of antiquation. It is a bit of a slow burn, and as a viewer, you're kept in the dark, but I found the peeling back of the layers to be interesting. There are elements of film noir, which is one of my favorite classic film genres. The acting between the two leads was great. Seemed like guys who had spent many nights sitting in a car together BSing as they waited for something to happen. The car chase sequence was fantastic, and knowing it's real, not a green screen CGI creation, shows why the Academy Awards need to recognize the work of stunt coordinators. The filmmakers mounted the camera onto the bumper, similar to what we saw in Days of Thunder a few episodes back, and Hackman was driving the way I play Grand Theft Auto. The French Connection was a Philip D'Antoni production, who was responsible for Bullet and The Seven Ups, which also starred Roy Scheider. The cinematography was captured by Owen Roisman, whose filmography includes Network, Tootsie, The Addams Family, and Wyatt Earp. The movie has a gritty look. It captures the essence of New York City in the 70s. It certainly wasn't the family-friendly tourist attraction it is today. It was edited by Gerald B. Greenberg, who's also known for Apocalypse Now, Kramer vs. Kramer, The Untouchables, and American History X. The score was composed by Don Ellis, who was a famous trumpeter and band leader before working in movies, which includes The Seven Ups, French Connection 2, and The Deadly Tower. He mixes jazz and big band, but it's not in the traditional sense. There's a bit of experimentation with sounds and time signatures. The main title theme is a bit off-putting. It feels like the flautists had 37 cups of coffee before playing, but there were pieces that I appreciated. Cop's Tale had a nice trumpet lead, though it sounds like he's playing out of key at points. I know it's done purposely based on how avant-garde the music is. It's an interesting choice. It's not something I would listen to regularly. I prefer standard jazz, but along with the images of the movie, it completely works. A great compliment. The runtime is 1 hour 44 minutes. It had a budget of $1.8 million and grossed $75 million at the box office. It was nominated for eight Academy Awards and won for Best Picture, Best Actor in a Leading Role, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. Ultimately, the movie comes down to Ho Ho Ho, Police Brutality, Subtitles, Plot Exposition, Car Auction, Absolute Dynamite, Cat and Mouse, and Busted. I so want to give it 5 out of 5 stars based on its reputation, but for me personally, it's not quite there. But I will give it 4.7 stars out of 5. If you've seen The French Connection and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. <laughs> Moving right along, each episode I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. I've always been fascinated with space. Who hasn't looked up at the stars and wondered, what's really out there? 
Growing up, there were a ton of science fiction movies being released, including E.T., Predator, Aliens, Flight of the Navigator, The Thing, and plenty of others that opened up your mind to the possibility of life beyond our universe. There were series like Unsolved Mysteries and The X-Files, which explored stories about otherworldly things. I would watch documentaries about UFOs and alien abductions, which would include interviews, first-hand accounts, video or photographic evidence, and eerie music. Always eerie music. The most famous incident was with couple Barney and Betty Hill, who claimed to have been taken in 1961. They played tapes of his sessions under hypnosis, and the details were disturbing to listen to. On a recent trip to a planetarium, and by recent I mean like four to seven years ago, I was surprised how much I remembered about the stars and constellations. It had been a while since I tapped into that file in my brain. It seems that there have been a lot of celestial events occurring this year. Supermoon, total lunar eclipse, blood moon, annular solar eclipse, Jupiter and Saturn conjunction, and not to mention the government finally confirmed that there are unidentified flying objects that they can't explain. Arthur C. Clarke once wrote, Two possibilities exist. Either we are alone in the universe, or we are not. Both are equally terrifying. On a scale of Mulder to Scully, I'm definitely somewhere in between. I think I want to believe. I can't fathom that in a universe as vast as ours that we're the only species out there. As a writer, I think it's important to keep an open mind about these possibilities because it expands your imagination and the stories you can tell. So I'm going to post a couple of my favorite clips about the stars and universe. All can be found on the Matt Watch That Playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Resurrection, which focused on the town of Arcadia, where people who had previously died were suddenly coming back to life at the same age that they passed. It was based on the novel by Jason Mott from 2013 called The Returned. Now, this is not to be confused with the other series about the dead returning to life called the Returned, that aired on A&E, which was a remake of a French series called Les Revenances. I think I added about three more syllables in there. Point is, in the mid-2010s, there were a lot of series about the dead coming back to life. The series starred Omar Epps from House and Love and Basketball as Agent Martin Bellamy, who is assigned to take eight-year-old boy Jacob Langston, played by Landon Jimenez, back to his family. His parents, Henry and Lucille Langston, are played by Kurtwood Smith and Francis Fisher. Phenomenal actors. This family storyline is the heart of the series, and I was fully invested in these characters. Agent Bellamy ends up staying in town to investigate as more members of the community return from the dead. I like that the reaction to family members coming back to life ran the gamut. You had people who were totally cool with it, others were a little hesitant and questioned the validity, and of course there were people on the religious side who thought this was the work of the devil. This was an ensemble show which included Matt Craven, Devin Kelly, Mark Hildrath, and Samara Armstrong. Veronica Cartwright from Alien and the Birds had a guest role as a nosy neighbor. In season 2, Michelle Fairley from Game of Thrones joined the cast and was awesome. You never knew if she was good or bad, she played that part so well. The problem with shows that have an underlying mystery is that you have to start providing answers at some point, and they rarely live up to the expectations of the audience. I'm looking at you, Lost. In this case, 
I felt like the creator Aaron Zellman was setting the stage for some epic storytelling, but unfortunately it was cancelled on a cliffhanger before some pretty interesting revelations. The series was filmed in Atlanta, Georgia and utilized all the landscapes to create a visually unique series. Resurrection was on for two seasons, 21 episodes, from 2014 to 2015. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. I do plan on having an interactive element, but I need those listeners. So follow, subscribe, like, and spread the word. Until next time, we're going now. Goodbye. Number one is Grossbusters. Grossbusters. <laughs> there were series like The Unsolved Mysteries. Nope. No the in there. It's not the Ohio State. The most famous incident was with couple Barney and Betty Bill. <laughs> That's not their name. <laughs>